We're starting a new series today titled End Game, What We Know About What's to Come. We actually know a lot about what's to come because God is marching history toward a predetermined end. And no one can thwart God's plan, and He has revealed to us a lot about what's going to come. But He hasn't revealed everything to us. He has uh, told us He has revealed all that we need to know, but not all that we want to know. And it's very important to understand that difference. So we know everything we need to know about what's coming so that we can make wise decisions today. Decisions that honor God, that help us live a victorious Christian life. We know enough about what's coming to say no to sin and yes to God. But there's, there's a lot that we want to know because we like knowing, right? I want to, I want to know details. I want to know dates. And, and God has uh, just not revealed to us everything we might want to know. And in fact... Jesus' own disciples, I mean, these are the apostles. The apostles wanted to know more. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, we read, now this is, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's, he's the, the risen Lord Jesus, but he hasn't yet ascended to heaven. And the disciples asked Jesus, uh, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, guys, there's stuff you want to know that you don't need to know. You need to just stay focused on the mission I've give you, given you to go out and make disciples. Uh, you know, we're also told that the prophets in the Old Testament uh, to whom God revealed um, knowledge about the coming Messiah, they, there, were, there, was, there was stuff they wanted to know. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10, we read, Now concerning this salvation, talking there about the coming of Christ, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, Christians, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And yet we know from the New Testament it remained a mystery to them. <laughs> right? God uh, kept a whole lot of the details around the first coming of Christ uh, a mystery to the Old Testament saint and, and only revealed it in the, in the New Testament age with the coming of Christ. <clears throat> God just doesn't feel the need to uh, answer all of our questions about uh, the end. And that is very important, actually. It's very important for us to hold loosely um, our vision of the, of the end. Now, we want to know whatever it is that God has told us, um, but, our, but be, beware of your need to know and to have a nice timeline where everything is ordered and, and there are two, two dangers, I think, uh, this desire to, to know. Well, number one is it, it might tempt us to claim the Bible says more than it actually says, right? And so we want to handle the Word of God correctly and not put words in God's mouth and not be making the Bible say more than it says out of our desire to, you know, have a, 
have a tidy end time timeline. The other thing is I think our desire to know can make us more prone to deception. Uh, those people who claim to know and say, you know, listen to me, I have special insight uh, into the, what the Bible says about the end times. Maybe they'll say, you know, I've uncovered some secret code that's in the Bible. I mean, no, they're wrong. And, uh, or, wow, Christians have never seen this. But God has given me special insight into what the Bible says about the end times. Nobody has ever known it for 2,000. You're crazy. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're a false teacher. You are. Listen, this is very, very important. When, when I was in undergraduate, I studied history. And so you're always looking up for the novel take on history. When I got into seminary, I realized novelty is the quickest path to heresy. If Christians have not believed it, uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, it's probably wrong, right? Why would God withhold from his people important knowledge for 2,000 years? He hasn't. He hasn't. Somebody, somebody comes along preaching something new and novel, uh, be extremely skeptical, extremely skeptical. In fact, um, the, the, the take that James and I are have with this series is, uh, you know, okay, what is it, you know, we start with the assumption that whatever has been the historic understanding of Christianity on these topics of the end, that's probably the right one, right? Anything new and novel, it, it, we're suspect of. Uh, but, and we're not interested in arguing for a particular um, take on end time topics. And there are a lot out there. You know, you've got the dispensationalist and the preterist and the futurist, and you've got pre-trib and post-trib and mid-trib and all-millennial and pre-millennial. And I mean, there are all kinds of takes. And we want to make you aware of the debate, but our goal is to say, okay, the Bible talks about this issue, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Here's where it's talked about in the Bible. Here's what Christians throughout history have you know, agreed on as the, what the Bible says. And then here are the, here are the areas that are debated. And we're just really not interested in taking a, a, a position on the debated issues. And I think that's, you'll find that as our basic uh, take here. So some of you who are more convinced about a particular uh, have a take on, a, on one of these debated issues will probably be frustrated. But that's okay. So here are some of the topics we're going to deal with in this series. Today we're dealing with living in the last days. We're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, resurrection from the dead and the rapture, final judgment, uh, the, the, the statement in the Bible of, and then all Israel shall be saved, uh, heaven and hell, uh, the millennium, and the book of Revelation. So it's, it's going to be very, uh, very interesting, and frankly, the, this issue of the end is very important, because how you understand what's coming will influence the way you live today, very much. And, and so this is, this is not just an esoteric um, part of doctrine, it's actually very practical. 
Well, today I want to, we're going to be talking about living in the, in the last days, and I want to start with just the, kind of the highest level understand, biblical uh, understanding of history, and it's, there are two ages, this age in which we live and the age to come. Uh, the, at its most simple level, that's the way the Bible um, splits or discusses human history. Although, very, to technically, this age began at the fall. So there was a little bit of human history prior to Adam and Eve sinning. Uh, that doesn't count as this age and then the age to come. So in Matthew chapter 12, we read, And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. In Ephesians chapter 1, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Okay? So we live in this age, but there is an age to come that as a Christian we long for. A quick uh, comparison of this age and the age to come. This age will end. This age is temporary. The age to come will last forever. It's eternal. So if you want to prioritize an age, which one should you prioritize? The age to come, the one that's going to last forever. Don't store up your treasures on, on earth where moth and rust destroy, destroy, store up your treasures in heaven. This age is the age of things that will not last. Only people are eternal, everything else. And maybe my dog, Kenai. Maybe. Don't know. But everything else is going to burn up. The age to come will be the age of things that last forever. Store up your treasures in, in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. This age is of the world. The age to come is heavenly and it's of the Lord. In this age, Satan is the god of the world. In the age to come, God will be all in all. Satan will be tormented forever. In this age, wicked and righteous people coexist. Even in the church, wheat and tares. Uh, and and uh, coexisting with, with wicked people causes all kinds of turmoil in our lives and in our world. But in the age to come, the wicked and the righteous will be separated. They will not coexist. The wicked will be in hell, and the righteous will be in heaven. We, the righteous will not be bothered by the wicked and their ways. This age is full of worry, persecution, suffering. Ugh. The age to come, there's going to be no mourning, no crying, no pain, no disappointment. In this, this is the age of death. Boy, we're all, we're all, our faces are pressed up right up against that right now, aren't they? This is the age of death. 
In the age to come, there will be no death. It's life forever and ever. In this age, knowledge is partial. None of us sees things perfectly. None of us has perfect knowledge. Right now, we see through a dim, uh, uh, as through a dim darkly. And in this age, Satan has blinding, is blinding the minds of unbelievers. Satan is deceiving people. And in the age to come, we shall be known. We shall know just as we are known fully. This age, the ways of this age are evil. People practice wickedness. In the age to come, evil will be purged. And evildoers will be banished to hell. And the ways, it, it, in the age to come, it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this stage, in this age, we don't yet know what we're going to be like. It's, you, you look at this age, and there's, there's nobody who, who has yet been transformed, right? Only Jesus in his resurrection uh, revealed to us the transformation. But we, we don't yet know what it's going to be like. But in the age to come, we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be like the angels. In this age, Christ's rule is resisted. And in the age to come, Christ's rule will be obeyed in every nook and cranny of the universe. In this age, blas- and this is interesting. I read that scripture earlier, right? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in either this age or the age to come. Which means that book, Love Wins, that says, you know, hey, fast forward 10,000 years and, and, and every person will ultimately come to faith in Jesus Christ and get saved. Love wins. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which, as I understand it, is the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus being the Messiah and your need to repent of your sins and put your faith in Him. And if you say... Deny that testimony. In other words, you don't become a Christian. In this age, that won't be forgiven you, neither in this age nor in the age to come. You have one, we have one time in which to choose for Jesus, and it's this age. You don't get a second chance in the age to come. Take that seriously. Don't put that decision off. Now, the age to come will end when Jesus returns. Jesus says, I have come the first time. He already came a couple thousand years ago, and he says, I'm going to come back a second time. And when I return, this age is going to end, and the age to come will begin. Of course, there's lots of discussion about exactly how that winds up. Uh, what, are the, what are the details around the second coming and the and pre- precise timing of all of that? But very in, in very Generally, it is when Christ returns, this age ends, and the age to come begins. But Christ has already come, and in his first coming, things on earth changed very significantly. With the first coming of Christ, the age to come broke in to time and space. There is is a sense in which the kingdom of God, Jesus says, with my coming, the kingdom of God is hand. There's a sense in which the kingdom of God broke into time and space. It 
theologians talk about it as the kingdom was inaugurated, begun, with the first coming of Jesus Christ, and it will be consummated at His second coming. But right now, we live in the in-between age, the overlap of the ages, or as the Bible calls it, the last days. You and I live in the last days because with the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, human history has been altered, and our, uh, uh, our ability to taste and experience the age to come has already begun. On the day of Pentecost, there and the, uh, the apostles began to speak in tongues and people thought that they were um, drunk. And here's what Peter says, but he says to the crowd, but this, what you're seeing, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, an Old Testament prophet, who said... And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men, old men shall dream dreams. And, and so Peter is saying, that's what you're seeing being fulfilled right now. We're in the last days that Joel talked about because Jesus has risen from the dead. In Hebrews chapter 1, we read, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Hebrews chapter 9. But as it is, He, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. That's interesting. Our day, Jesus' day, was called the end of the ages. It, now, there will, be, there will be a final day, um, but, but even now we're living in the end times, we're living in the end of the ages. Something very significant has happened with the first coming of Jesus Christ. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because he's already dealt with that in his first coming, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And this is why we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we're longing to be saved from uh, this, this age and its brokenness and its problems. So we live in the last days. And, and living in the last days is a, is a great privilege. We are, we are privileged over the Old Testament saints because we can begin to experience the age to come in a way people could not before, primarily because we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God indwells us, mediates the presence of Christ to us, produces the fruit of the Spirit within us, which are the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's all, those are all characteristics of the age to come. And we can, we by the by the Spirit can begin to experience them in our lives even now. But we live in a tension. There's a tension because we begin to taste the age to come, but we're still living in this age. 
And, and that produces a tension in us. It can and should produce a longing so that we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But we live in, in the tension of what theologians like to call the already but the not yet. The kingdom of God is already here. You can already begin, already begin to experience the coming age, but it's not yet here in its fullness. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, it's already been done, He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We possess every spiritual blessing, but right now our, the, that possession is in the heavenly places, and, and it's not yet fully realized in our everyday experience, although it will be someday. So let me walk through some contrasts between the already and the not yet that the Bible talks about. We are already citizens of heaven, the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, but God made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So spiritually, you're already seated uh, with Christ in heaven. You're already a citizen of heaven. That is true of you on a, spiritually. And yet, we still dwell on earth, on an earth that is marred by the presence of sin. And this is a tension in our lives, right? I'm a citizen of heaven. That's where the real me is. That's where my affections should be. That's where a lot of my thoughts should be. That's where I should be building my kingdom, right? And yet I live here. Uh, already, Jesus reigns in heaven and on earth. That's the reality. Jesus, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has risen from the dead, but he hasn't yet ascended, and he's talking to his disciples and giving them the great commission. Jesus said to them, all authority, not partial, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the king. And yet, right now, Jesus' rule is still being resisted. Still being resisted by the evil run. It's still being resisted by people. And it is even sometimes resisted by you and me. Already, the victory over Satan has been won. The, the, the battle that won the war has taken place. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. God, he, God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, Jesus. The victory is already run, and yet Satan is still fighting God, and evil is still present on earth. And this is a tension we live with, this tension. Already, we have the power to say yes to God and no to sin. Titus chapter 2, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions 
and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. God, by His Spirit, empowers us to say no to sin and yes to God. And yet, we still sin because we still have a sin nature and there is temptation present in our world and we give in to that sometimes and that's the tension in the Christian life. Already we are on the winning side. John 16, 33. Jesus says, In this world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We're on the winning side, and yet we are, right now, still persecuted by the ungodly, still made to feel like, uh, like we're the crazy ones. Right? And in most places in the world, Christians don't have the power. Already, we enjoy fellowship with God. In 1 John chapter 1, if we walk in the light, he, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We enjoy fellowship with God through, uh, through our faith in Jesus Christ, but our fellowship is hindered by our sin and lack of faith. So we have fellowship. We can, come, we can come boldly into the very presence of God because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and yet we still sin. Already we possess eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, very clear. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? You have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You already have it. You possess it. And yet, we still get sick, feel pain, and die. Already, we enjoy the fruit of the Spirit... Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And every Christian ought to be able to testify to the fruit of the Spirit in their life. But the fact of the matter is we don't always walk by the Spirit. And therefore, we, we don't enjoy the, the fruit of the Spirit as much as we could or as often as we should. Attention. And we, we live in a tension between the already and the not yet. We live in the last days. Because of Christ's first coming, we can, by the, through the, the help of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to experience the blessings of the age to come, uh, but, but not fully, because Christ has not returned. And so... I see a, a couple of dangers here. One, I want to beware of an over-realized eschatology. Fancy word. But you're actually going to remember this. It's so fancy, it's catchy. An over-realized eschatology. An over-realized eschatology is... Eschatology, by the way, just means study of last things. And it's the technical word for the theolo theolo or doctrine about the end, okay? 
eschatology, study of the end. An over-realized eschatology is a Christian who, who wants to act now as if they're in the age to come and is discontent with living, uh, is discontent with the not yet part of, the, of living in the in-between. And so an over-realized eschatology says, in the future, there will be no poverty. In the future, I will have you know, riches. I'm going to live in a mansion. And so obviously, that's what I should have right now. And if I have enough faith, I can pray in uh, you know, wealth. In the future, there won't be any sickness, right? There will be health. And so obviously, God wants me, if I have enough faith, if I claim it, I can have uh, health now. I don't need to be sick, right? In the, in the future, I'm not going, there won't be wicked people around me bothering me. I'm not going to have enemies. And so, you know, right now I can cut those people off. That's obviously God's will for my life. God doesn't want me to be unhappy. He doesn't want me to be bothered by people, right? They forget the oyster principle where it's, what is it? It's the annoying grain of sand that causes the oyster to cry and create the pearl, which I think is a good illustration of how God shapes us. Irritating people are good for us spiritually. But an overrealized eschatology says, I won't have irritating people in my life. God doesn't want me to have irritating people in my life now. I'm going to cut them off. That's an overrealized eschatology, and Christians fall for this stuff all the time. Be- now, to be sympathetic, it's because we long to be over here. I want to be in the new age. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But, but we're not in the new age yet. And that's not God's will for us. And so God says things like, if you're sick, pray for healing. And God might heal, but he might not. Right? And yeah, he'll provide for your needs, but that doesn't, that's not the same thing as saying he's going to make you wealthy or that people won't be in your life irritating you, you see? Uh, an overrealized eschatology doesn't think we're waiting for anything. <laughs> And yeah, we're waiting. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to return. You get that? Be careful. Beware of an overrealized eschatology. Now, at the same time, beware of an underrealized eschatology. And this is probably, you know, maybe even more. For me, it's certainly uh, the bigger danger. And an, an underrealized eschatology is uh, I'm very focused on this world. And the age to come really doesn't capture me that much. Yes, I'm a Christian, and I know that Jesus will return someday, or when I die, I'll go to heaven. And when I do, then I'll turn my attention to that, that new part of, you know, the new reality. But right now, I live on earth. And right now, the earth has a, a, a lot to offer, and I want to be present here, and uh, I want to pull out of this life all of the joys that I possibly can. Right, and so an underrealized eschatology is the Christian who is who is very focused uh, on this world, overly focused on this world, and does not give enough attention to the world to come. And so here are a couple of scriptures that talk about this. Colossians chapter three, speaking to Christians: If then you have been raised with Christ, and as a Christian, by faith you are united with Christ in His death. In his resurrection, so spiritually you have been raised with Christ. 
If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Another way to talk about it is, you know, that's the kingdom of God. That's the age to come. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus? He's not in the grave. He's seated at the right hand of the Father until he returns. He's in heaven. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And it goes on to say, when Christ appears, you will, the real you will be revealed. Right? The eternal you, the, the, the one who's going to dwell in the age to come. And so, so it's, he's saying, look, Christians, yeah, you live on earth, but you need to understand that the real you is seated uh, with Christ in the heavens. The real you is going to be is part of the age to come. That's where you, you need to be building, uh, setting your minds on those things, your other translations, affections. First Timothy chapter 6, we read this. As for the rich in this present age, and he's talking about Christians. As for the rich Christians in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Okay, so as a preacher, I'm supposed to say, don't be haughty, you rich Christians. First, I live on a lake, so uh, I don't know what to say about that. That's right, that's right. But I let people come play hockey. And I said you could come ice fish, even though it's owned by the municipality of Anchorage. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good... Where, where are they storing up treasure? Not in this age. They're storing up treasure in the age to come. As a good foundation for the future so that they may take hope of that which is truly life. Boy, ponder this thing. What's truly life? Not what riches can buy you in this world, but what you can have in the world to come. And uh, there, elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about, you know, how foolish. If God gives you riches in this world, leverage those riches for, towards treasures in heaven, right? Don't build your big barn and, and uh, then you die, and you squandered that opportunity. That's, that's what it is. Uh, riches in this life are an opportunity to do things that have eternal significance and create reward in eternity. So beware an under-realized eschatology. The Bible has, uh, talks about this in many different ways. Building our, don't, don't build your kingdom on earth. Right? We're all prone to do this stuff. Because, you know, this is the world in front of us. This is the world of, of our senses. And so for us to not be uh, overly invested in this world, overly with it taking too much of our time and energy and attention and affection, it requires looking at things with spiritual eyes and appraising things spiritually. And, and that... That requires bathing your minds in the truth of God's word because the Bible keeps reminding you about of what is real. Um, you know, hanging out with other Christian people, praying, 
the, the spirit of the living God helping us. If you cut yourself out, if you cut yourself off from church, by the way, you know, you cut yourself off from regularly gathering with the people of God, listening to the word of God being preached, talking with other Christians about the Christian life. Do you think that, well, I won't be rhetorical. It's going to make it a lot easier for this world to uh, dominate your attention and affections. Absolutely. Absolutely. So final challenge or offer. Here's the reality. We can all enjoy more of the age to come now. I can. You can. Nobody is living 100% by, you know, walking 100% in the Spirit. None of us are uh, as enamored with the age to come as we could be. And so we can all enjoy more of the age to come now uh, if we make the kingdom of God a greater priority in our lives. I want to invite the band back up, and I want us to... um, Actually, I'm going to invite Sir Brina back up to lead us in a time of a responsive prayer.